this is Killer Physiology. I am Haley. And I'm Wes. Join us this week as we dive into the killer physiology of the human body. Hey, what's up, everyone? Hi, everyone. How are you, Wes? I'm doing okay. You know, we're recording on a Thursday after work, so a it's a Thursday bit of a change. Night. Yeah. yeah. How about, what about you? Um, I'm fine. I'm I had to uh, get my run in before we mm. record it today. It's literally 95 degrees outside. Yeah. I'm soaking wet. I'm disgusting. It's going to be I mean, a rough go around. I mean, good for you because I just you. decided I was like, I'm just going to skip today <laughs> and go home. <laughs> so, Too hard on myself. Yeah. You definitely like you make sure you go on your run. So yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm ready for the fall to hit. Yeah. So I have nice crisp autumn temperatures and leaves crunching beneath my feet when I run I'm over the actual hell that's outside right now (laughs) that I have to run through yeah (laughs) I actually had PTSD today running um because it is tis the season for all my preseason babes preseason has started so I got a hint of that PTSD today so that was lovely yeah that's the best as i actively wipe my sweat off my face with a napkin here we go yeah you know good times i don't know that's why i like to bike you know it's not quite as miserable because you get wind blowing on you yeah or you're inside in the ac yeah i don't know i need a new hobby (laughs) all right so today we're going to be talking about a needs analysis um it's kind of a bit of an expansion off of exercise programming and we're going to be doing something new with case studies of this. So after we get through talking a little bit about what this is today, we're going to be jumping into two kind of scenarios. Haley and I are going to be working through it yeah. on the podcast. We haven't really rehearsed that part of it. So it's going to be interesting. See how it goes. See, um, see what we know. Yeah, exactly. We get to test each other a little bit, I guess. Oh, God. All right. So I guess we'll start out with the question, what even is a needs analysis? So I'm going to just kind of give my definition of it. So to me, I really think at its core, it's a way to look at an individual or a sport and identify um, important training concerns, common movement patterns, common injuries, any history of diseases, any orthopedic concerns and exercises that might help with these. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, everybody else you know, everybody has their own definition of it. Um, but I think that's mainly the gist of it. Yeah. Um, so the way I learned about it is I really learned about it in my undergrad program at Frostburg, a lot of it through my field experience, which was kind of like our mini internships. And then we also did a little bit of it in class. Um, but I don't think we really called it a needs analysis. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm not just familiar with that term, honestly. When really? we, this was like a topic at hand for us to discuss on the podcast, yeah. I was a little like, hmm, like, what is this? Like, yeah. I had to kind of <laughs> think about know. it and ask you. I, I've asked you a million questions about it before we actually got into it. Yeah. And I think people label it a different uh, different Probably. ways, definitely in education. So, yeah, it might not be called needs analysis or you might yeah. not have heard of that, but that's what we're going to go with today. Yeah. I mean, I it could be just like I'm bringing that over from like the strength and conditioning realm. Maybe. Yeah. We did that a lot with like athletes and all. But I really think I know that we do it with clinical populations. But like you said, probably not called that. Yeah. Um, so like kind of my experience with it starting out was we did like some mock programming. We would do like a needs analysis for whatever type of person we were doing. Um, one of the classes we 
chose at random um, like a profession from a hat that you had to do a needs analysis on. And mm-hmm. and so I got a UPS driver. So you had to go through and like look at That's the different cool. movements. Yeah. So it was it was really good practice. Um, but do you, did you do anything similar at all? In school? I honestly, we might have, but I, I don't remember. So we might have not. Um, what I do remember is a lot of like clinical work and yeah. like prescription based off that, mm-hmm. um, diseases, signs and symptoms, things like that to create kind of an exercise, yeah. I wouldn't say program, but like you said, analysis of what they can do to prevent what type of injury they may get, um, things like that. Definitely yeah. not like your career centered needs analysis, like the UPS truck driver thing is that's cool. Like it's, it's like a healthy, normal person. I don't want to say normal, a healthy, well, yeah, but... like case oh. that you might get more often than somebody with heart failure who may have these symptoms. Yeah. It's more realistic. I feel. Yeah, I exactly. And I think like that was a good, like one to learn on because you know, you can kind of think through like, you know, what they do day to day a little bit and, you know, go from there. And at least when I first practiced in my undergrad, it it wasn't including like those clinical concerns, which like mm-hmm. we touched that on, we touched base with that at Delaware. Um, and Definitely. we got more hands-on experience with that where we did like exercise counseling, which I talked about this in one of the previous episodes, but we basically inter- like did kind of interviews with people and made exercise programs for them. So you were kind of identifying those goals, identifying any training yeah. concerns. So, um, I think for me, I probably, like I said, I learned about it probably more in strength and conditioning. And at first it was kind of hard to wrap my head around like, oh, what's this needs analysis? Like, I remember like, you know, being like a sophomore in college and like, oh, I have to do a needs analysis and turn it into the head coach. Like, you mm-hmm. know, and then really thinking it was this huge, huge um, thing that I had to complete and it should be very well detailed. But I think one of my big takeaways that I've kind of developed over the years is that it, it can look however you want it to be. It can be something that's written down. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of times in my experience with like the teams that I had in strength and conditioning, it was um, de- it was definitely outlined like on Excel and different things like that. But I know with working in cardiac rehab and clinical populations, like it was more of like a mental checklist, a mental thing that oh, I yeah, fell through. For sure. I agree. Um, so I think it's just v- very different, you know, um, but in reality, like I said, even though I think this term comes from strength conditioning a little bit more. It's done by exercise physiologists. Like when you're doing that initial intake with a patient and, you know, in this new environment, you're trying to just look and see what they need to be successful at their time in cardiac rehab or whatever different arena you're working in as an exercise physiologist. Yeah, I agree. This is probably where I can relate to this the most is when I actually worked in rehab, when mm-hmm. you got an individual and they had their specific needs, uh, like somebody who's super young and needs to get back to their career and their career has heavy lifting in it. How are we going to get them back to, to that point? Or somebody who has to keep um, a home in shape, different landscaping and cleaning around the house, different goals or people who um, wanted to return to sport, Mm -hmm. any sort of sport that they might have. So that's probably where I got most of my, um, I would say experience with needs analysis and just trying to create a program in that rehab to assess each individual, just to help them reach whichever goals, um, as an individual they may have. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I think 
for a long time, I might not have really thought about this in like cardiac rehab and like, say like this sense, you know, I think once I was working in it for a while and I think I was actually talking to one of the interns that we had then, Mm -hmm. and she was asking about how we programmed exercise and I was kind of breaking it down a little bit more. It kind of clicked in my head that like this, this was still a tool I was using in this clinical population. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not as, um, not as, it's not like outlined like materialistically like in a uh, do they break it down more outlined in like training i feel like they for like an athlete and stuff yeah i that's what i like i can remember yeah so i think a lot of it depends on the individual coach on how they set it up um but a lot of a lot of the ones i've seen have been like in excel where they're you know doing I don't know. Some of it's like a literature review of like looking at like studies of like, okay, um, you know, soccer players have this many injuries to this, Mm, this joint or whatever, this type of thing, you know, doing some research as to those common injuries, and then also just breaking it down into, okay, what are these common movement patterns? What type of exercises then break off of that? So it's in a way, I kind of like to think of like a kind of like a diagram and it's like okay in that initial box is you know kind of that research and those common things and then the next box over is you know what are the movement patterns and then the next box from there is you know what are these exercises that are going to be benefiting these movements or helping with these injuries Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I think about it yeah um but yeah so Let's put this into practice. We're going to kind of, yeah, we're, we're going to be kind of, you know, working our way through uh, two case studies that we came up with. Um, the first one that we t- came up with is I figured it would be a good one because it's going to be right in Haley's wheelhouse is we're going to be talking about a woman soccer player that's college nice. age. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I th- think you could relate. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't train myself to play soccer, really. I had a lot of coaches there for me. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, but I think you got <laughs> it. Um, but, you know, college age, no pre-existing injuries other than a few sprained ankles over the years. We're going to just stay broad, not like a specific position. Okay. Um, you know, some people do that, you know, especially, I mean, any sport, you can focus in a little bit more oh, for in sure. depth to different positions. And then we're going to be talking about like preseason. So we're not going to have to be worrying about like a, a practice, game, you know, games, things like that. We're going to kind of thinking like summer session, like you're at home doing your workouts, whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what I like to think of first is, you know, we talked about a lot of the different elements. Yeah. But what are like the most common injuries that you would say like happen to a woman soccer player? Most common injuries, I would say definitely ankle sprains. And the person mm-hmm. that we're talking about has an ankle sprain and they're, they're just common. I mean, you can't really do anything yeah. about that. Um, lots of ligaments in the knee tearing, stretching your ACL is a huge, huge problem in soccer. Yeah. I know just from experience playing four years, there was one to two girls every season that we lost due to an ACL tear. Yeah. I feel like working in strength and conditioning, like you, I always saw like at least once or twice a year, like you said, like a girl kind of sitting up watching the lift, like with her like brace oh, on because yeah. she had her surgery. It's like, awful. Be in the, you know, and you yeah. knew going into preseason, like who's it, it was as, as <laughs> bad as it sounds, it's like, yeah. who is it going to be? Like it's, yeah. it's horrible. So definitely knee injuries are huge. I would say hamstring injuries as well as quad injuries, probably just from running. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had a lot of 
bad. I remember my, my ankles were are always, they're, they're very bad. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of ankle sprains in my time playing, but my quad having quad injuries from just like kicking the ball and just yeah. like the movement of you getting back from that quad injury, mm-hmm. planting your foot and kicking the ball is like excruciating. So yeah. I don't know if it's planting the foot that causes the, the quad strain or the, just overall the amount of running that you have to do. Yeah. Um, I would say those are, have you seen any else with women's soccer? I don't think so. I mean, I think that's, those are the big ones that I think of when I'm yeah. looking at like that, that, um, sport, you know, knee injuries are very common. I think, I mean, in any, whether it's men's or women's soccer, but I, I know that one thing that we, yeah. I remember talking about kind of was like, you know, like looking at like the hip to knee angle and stuff sometimes yeah. with, with female athletes that kind of can sometimes lead to more, um, more knee injuries in a sport like soccer, um, you know, because like you said, one, you're having to kick and maneuver with the ball, but you're also, you know, running, you're sprinting, changing direction. Yeah. The, the, the changing of positions, like your yeah. body in space changes and you hope to God that your ankle, knee and hip turn at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. there's lots of loading, I would say on joints mm-hmm. too, movement wise power, yeah. and then like your strength that comes into there as well. I would say jumping and twisting when it comes to like heading corners, yeah, things like that. Good, yeah. You se- segue right into the next part of it. It's like movement. what are those whoop, kind whoop. of those movements? You know, so like yeah, jumping, twisting, changing direction, running, um, and you're also going to have times where you're going to be you know pivoting off of like a single leg, oh yeah, things like that. So. You want to be aware of those types of movements when you're looking at exercise programming. Um, so like, let's, let's take that. So we have a good picture of like injuries, some of the injuries, some of the movements. Um, and I, what I like to do kind of from here is look at what are some exercises that are going to help address some of these things. So we, mm-hmm. we kind of identified that need for power, explosiveness, jumping. We also need like good strength in our lower body. Um, also, I would say, you know, we uh, twisting and a strong core, and then we talked about some of those injuries. So what are some, some exercises that you kind of think would be I would most say beneficial for a soccer player? I think you need a strong base. So you need to be able to, I don't know, start with like, not necessarily that you need to lift heavy, but you need to have a strong base to yeah. then perform as well as you want to. So we did a lot of squatting. Squatting yeah. was like our number one thing. And when we weren't squatting, we were doing single leg exercises, yeah. lots of slow, um, uh, I would say heavy because they were mean, but, <laughs> um, but lots of slow single legged exercises, like a single leg RDL or a single kind of like leg lunge. Or, yeah. Okay. Um, lots of loading. It was, yeah. they wanted to focus on honestly, just making the, all the ligaments in your knee as strong as they possibly can. Yeah. I remember that. And then lots of, for like the power, um, the power that you need, um, for changing, um, positions in the game and stuff, and just having um, a good acceleration. We did lots of Olympic lifting, so lots mm-hmm. of hang clean, full body movements from like the squat to the to the clean to the actual press. Lots of Olympic lifting like that as well. Yeah, no, I think those are those are like the big things. Like, if I was programming for like a women's soccer player, those are definitely things that I would be incorporating a plus. into it. <laughs> yeah, a plus <laughs> knocked it out of the park. <laughs> um, but you know. 
you want to identify the the big core muscle groups that are going to be used a lot. It's good when you're in preseason because you can add on your training volume. Yeah. Compared to once you're in season, you're going to have to fluctuate that a little bit more. And, you know, developing that power, there's kind of, without going too far into it, like you'd want to set out your program to where you're building up towards like the most explosive, most strong that you could get the athletes kind Mm -hmm. of leading to a certain point in the season. Um, You know, I think in addition to what you said, Haley, you made a really good point with including the squatting, the single leg training. um, That's really important. And then also, you know, throwing in some exercises to help, um, help address those common injuries. So like a common thing that we would do would be, we called it like ankle inversion and eversion. So like, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, Like, so yeah, somebody would be seated with like a band around their ankle and you're kind of pulling the opposite direction that you're trying to move your foot to. That's a really good one. We did lots of like penguin walking. I don't know if you called, you called it that Mm -hmm. we were on our toes with like our ankles inward and we walk forward on our toes and we walk, we'd walk back with our heels, lots of things like that. Definitely. Yeah. Those are good ones. Um, you know, working with that knee, with your knee, like a common one that I would see a lot when I was still doing strength conditioning, we just, we called them TKEs, but it was like terminal knee extension. It was kind of to work that VMO, like right around your knee, right at your knee. And that could be done with like a band around a rack and you're kind of coming up into like a bent knee position and then straightening out and squeezing your quad or, um, go ahead. Oh, you're good. Uh, or like doing like a kind of like a quarter squat position, like off of like a little little box or something like yeah, that, and coming yeah. back up. Um, but what were you gonna say? Lots of like, I don't know if they're called. We call them like ski jumps. Mm-hmm. You're on. You're just like we're either doing um, you're lunging and you're jumping back and forth to get that knee to be stabilized, or yeah. you are. I think they're called ski jumps, where you're basically like jump like cross country skiing exercises, yeah. where you're jumping yeah. from one foot leaping uh, laterally across to get yeah. to the other foot. And um, what they told us to do was to focus on that landing and mm-hmm. making sure you're as stable as possible and holding it for as long as possible before you transition to the next leap. Yeah, that's a really good one. We I, we did those same things. I think we j- we call them skater jumps, which is it basically jumps, okay. it's basically the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, every place you go, everybody's going to have different names. Um, yeah. But yeah, that explosive explosiveness, the stable of the joints is really um, stability of the joints is really important. And then, you know, I think you brought up an interesting point with like the eccentric training, you know, that can be really good to help with some of that move, some of the movements in soccer, because say, you know, when you go to like kick the ball, like once you're like kick and like follow through, like, yeah, then your, your muscle is going to have to like slow that leg you know, so that is, that's going to be the job of the hamstring is it's going to be stretching and lengthening, but you're trying not to like, let your leg go flying forward. Exactly. Um, you know, so that eccentric training is really good because it helps, helps get your, your muscles strongest at like their kind of weakest point weakest when point. they're at their yeah. longest, you know, they're at their weakest. So exactly. I think those are some really good points. Um, anything else that you really want to add with our soccer player that we're looking at? You made me think of a lot of things I forgot. So that was good, but I I think that's, I think that's it. Unless you have something else. I don't think so. I think think we hit it all. I think so. Like, I mean, 
I think my big thing is just looking at some of those common common movements, kind of injuries, some exercises for it. Obviously, it'd be hard for us to like set out a whole exercise plan to you guys. Like that would yeah. be a little hard to do over a podcast, but just get kind of getting into that school of thought when you're yeah, approaching general like idea. an athlete. Exactly. Um, but for our next one, a little more gonna, clinical. Yeah, a little bit more clinical. Um, do you want to go ahead and read what this yeah. case study is? So here we go. We have a 68-year-old female post-PCI stent. So she had a stent placement. Her EF or ejection fraction is 30 to 35%. She has a history of a left knee replacement, PAD, which is peripheral artery disease, and um, a history of ascending aorta repair. Uh, she has asthma. She has a right rotator cuff and she had a right ro- rotator cuff repair 10 years ago. She has not been exercising since her procedure due to the knee pain she's experiencing. And she doesn't really have a history at all of exercise. Okay. That's what we're working with today. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting switching gears from going, looking at an athlete now going to a clinical clinical person. <clears throat> um, so for me, some of the big things that I pick out there is, you know, the stent that's, yeah. you know, what's bringing her into the rehab most likely. Um, you want to be aware of the ejection fraction Cut that ejection is, fraction. that is lower. Yep. That's going to be a training consideration as far as like progression and intensity for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, orthopedic, that left knee. Yeah. She might have some limitations with that. Depends what exercise she can do. She might have a lot of limitations with that. Yeah. And I mean, I guess some of that would depend on like initial, like visual kind of, you know, once you're doing that initial consent with that person, seeing how they ambulate, walk into the department. Yeah. How long ago it was too. Exactly. Uh, I think with PAD, I think you'd have to look at, okay, are they, do they have claudication, like that pain Mm -hmm. in their limbs when they're walking? Mm -hmm. Regardless, I think if some weight bearing exercises could be included with that, it'd be very beneficial. Oh, for sure. We want weight bearing for PAD. It, it it hurts, but it's good for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing is that history of the asc- ascending aorta repair. So I know from experience working with that population, a really big thing is keeping that blood pressure under control. So a yeah. lot of a lot of times, even if it's been a couple years since their cert that repair, uh, they have a blood pressure kind of limit, like that that they don't want them to go over just to help limit any extra pressure. So that would be something to consider as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned she has asthma. Yeah. So everyone with asthma, they may or may not have an inhaler, which is um, it will will contain their albuterol, which will help them open up their airways if necessary. So some people need to take it. Some people need to be reminded to take it. Depending on what's going on with her, she may have to take it before exercise. She may not. Mm-hmm. Encouraging them to have it with them, though, is also really important because everybody tends to forget their inhaler when they want to exercise. So we got to keep that in the back of our head. She has asthma. Look for wheezing or hear listening for wheezing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of dyspnea ask, asking yeah, when she does have that, that, kind of assessing that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and then I think one thing that is included in this, but unless she mentioned it as like a chief complaint, like kind of coming in, is that rotator cuff repair. Like it's 10 years ago, unless like she's actively having pain, that's not something that I would be hugely concerned about yeah. unless it, unless it limits like range of motion or something like that. True. <clears throat> um, 
So I know we also also down here is that she hasn't been exercising since her procedure, since her knee pain, since her knee pain. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that it's kind of coming from that same knee from her replacement since we're going to do yeah. like a mock kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but so taking those kind those elements into consideration, I think if she was willing, like I would. I'm thinking more in like a cardiac rehab sense because that's where my that's brain kind of, is going. kind of where my head is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I personally, I would see how that knee, how much of a problem the knee pain was. Yeah. I think if at first we had to maybe avoid, the, had to not avoid, but had to like sideline the treadmill for like Modify, a couple yeah. weeks or something mm-hmm. and do, um, a couple of different pieces like recumbent pieces or something like that. I don't know. What what does this take you? I was thinking, I don't know, a lot of older adults with knee pain, they kind of want to go to um the new step, I yeah. would say. That's where mm-hmm. my mind goes. The new step, if anybody doesn't know, you're kind of sitting back, you move your legs and your arms, but it's a non-weight bearing exercise. So you're you're, yeah. you're sitting down. Yeah. And uh depending, I would say on that knee pain to see how she, uh, he or she can do on that. And then mm-hmm. again, like that rotator cuff um, arms, if tolerated, again, yeah. depending if there's a range of motion issue, but I would probably start them off on the new step, especially if they have no history of exercise and they have mm-hmm. PAD, they might not know how painful exercise might be mm-hmm. in the beginning stages for them. So you obviously also don't want to scare them away with being super sore, having a horrible high intensity exercise at first. So I would probably say new step, um, with or without the arms, if she can, depending on that rotator cuff. And obviously I would, I would start her at a low intensity because her EF is a little low. If we've yeah. never seen her before and never exercised with her before, we're not going to know how her hemodynamics are going to respond to exercise, how her vitals, her blood pressure are going to respond. Mm-hmm. So I would say a low, definitely low, maybe moderate intensity exercise for that first session. Yeah. I would also, I'm thinking we should probably not necessarily use a heart rate as a determining factor as well. I think RPE might be huge in this case, just depending on just because of the history that this um, patient has Mm -hmm. sometimes going off heart rate in a deconditioned individual who may also be on heart rate reducing meds can't get to the heart rate that you necessarily want them to. Yeah, that's true. So that's we should true. use like an RPE instead, which is that rating of perceived exertion. It's that scale that allows us to kind of see how hard somebody's working. So I would personally go off of RPE um, mm-hmm. within the, the initial first stages of this exercise. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, you know, I think a lot of times you'll see people coming into cardiac rehab that, like you said, are on medications that are going to uh, limit that heart rate response rp mm-hmm. really comes into play here this is where your experience as um as a like clinical exercise physiologist is going to come into play being able to work with that person and help guide them through it i would agree i think that like the new step is definitely something that would get included in their routine i think depending on how the how their knee felt you could always just for a variety maybe try a recumbent bike yeah um you know seeing how that knee felt i think you know as they would continue to develop you know there's plenty of arguments to be made to continue to progress them as tolerated it's really yeah. hard hard to look at like this little snapshot and say like long term exactly um 
I'd be hopeful she'd get on the treadmill, especially with her PAD to get some weight bearing exercises in there. It would overall just help a lot. Her ejection fraction may increase as well with continued exercise. Her pain might go down a little bit. Um, But I definitely think seeing this snapshot of a picture, the treadmill long run as a progression would be greatly beneficial. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be a goal for her time in cardiac rehab, Um, building up some initial strength with just overall, but also with, with her knee, hopefully that would benefit her some, um, and just helping her understand what exercise looks like from there and, you know, progress on that equipment. And, you know, I think, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm one of those people that (laughs) I think that the, the new step is a great tool. I don't, I think that people should get pitched. Like some people say like, oh, that's the only thing people should start on. But I don't think people should avoid it either. I think if you have somebody coming in and you're like, oh, well, like, oh, I'm just going to end up putting them on the new stuff. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-mm. It's a good place for a lot of people to st- start depending on how um, clinical of a person you're working with. Especially if they don't have a history of exercise. I just feel like that is a good way to start mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I th- in my experience, a lot of the times we would try to split up their exercise time on like a couple pieces of equipment just so, um, you know, we could work different muscle groups a little bit and, you know, give them a little oh, yeah, bit of variety. Um, so that's where I kind of came in with like the new step recumbent bike. Like that was something I saw a million times. Armorgometer is always a good option if your yeah, location has one because you know, if her shoulder is doing okay, that's always a good one. And plus that's a machine that a lot of time people do when they're re- doing PT from rotator cuff repairs. So like, yeah. you know, it could help along with that shoulder as well. Definitely. Um, but any ending thoughts you have with that at all? Um, I don't think so. I think okay. we hit it. Yeah. She didn't have an asthma attack, so we didn't have to bring out the epidural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I th- the number of people that don't carry like their inhaler. Or, oh, people bring or, your inhaler, please. Yeah, seriously. Or or like people that this is say more like a phase three program or something, but somebody that like is prescribed nitro and nitroglycerin oh like to take and they don't carry it with them. Or they'll be like, do you think I should carry this? And it's like, well, if your yes. doctor prescribed it to you, please. you're supposed to be carrying it with you because <laughs> that's for an emergency. It's pretty um, important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of what we wanted to do with our case studies today. You know, we wanted to do just a light kind of jump into how we look at people regardless of what population they are and you know, give an idea of how we program exercises yeah. for them, what we're looking at. Um, you know, I really encourage anybody that's like, "Oh, I've never really thought about that," or you're just kind of getting started out with exercise programming to kind of think about this kind of quote unquote tool when you're going to be making exercise program in the future, maybe even like practice um, some people for yourself. I, you know, that was kind of what Haley and I did with these two case studies, you know, we, we made them up and then we worked through them today. Um, You know, I think a really big skill that you have to develop regardless of what profession you're in is being able to read through like a patient chart or read through um, you know, an athlete's, you know, kind of like bio of, yeah. you know, we were talking about like research earlier um, and identify what those important pieces of information are. Cause I don't know about you, Haley, but I know there's plenty of times, like I would look at a patient's chart and it would be like cluttered with a lot of information and it's really mm-hmm. good information that you need to have, but not all of it is going to it's necessary. Yeah. is going to yeah. apply 
or have impacts necessarily on what your exercise prescription is. So you have to be able to filter exactly. out a little bit. Yeah. I would say even if you're just an athlete or you're just somebody listening, definitely take what we said and try to try to make a little uh, needs analysis for yourself. You can definitely mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. Um, it's easy when you break it down. Um, we can definitely um, start doing more case studies on healthy athletes as well, not just sticking with the clinical. Um, if you get lost in the clinical and you're not too, too into that, we can definitely do um, like a normal 50 year old healthy person too. Yeah, for sure. For everybody else listening. Um, but that's really it. That's a, that's a wrap on that. Yeah. Um, one thing, you know, kind of wrapping up here with you guys, you know, we, one Spotify or Apple podcast or whatever, there's a section on there. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys. Is this something that you've used before or even thought about? Um, you know, leave us a comment. Give there. us some input. Yeah, exactly. Everybody stay tuned for our next episode. Our next episode is going to be on energy drinks. Um, it's a little different. We're excited. I'm really excited for it. We're going to debut our researching skills. We're going to teach you how to find facts versus fraudulent information. Just give you some information on how to research um, from your true researchers over here. We do that now. <laughs> 40 yeah. hours a week, we are researching. We're So we have some good input. And yeah. we thought the topic of energy drinks would be a good start. So stay tuned for that. I, yeah, I'm definitely a little... Uh, nervous excited for doing the research review like that was something we did a lot in grad school so i'm excited to be kind of using those skills again yeah we got a lot of literature coming your way yeah for sure all right everybody this is killer physiology see ya see ya